What are you afraid of? I'll rephrase that. What are you willing to admit that you're afraid of? I was kind of a fearful child growing up. I, um, I was afraid of heights. Well, actually, I'm still afraid of heights. Um, somewhat a little bit of water, bridges, kind of made traveling across the country a little bit precarious sometimes for my family. We were going with my grandparents across the Mackinac Bridge one time, and, you know, it was like seven miles across this. It's every person who's afraid of bridges nightmare. And we were going across this from the southern peninsula to the upper peninsula, and my grandfather was teasing me, and we were going in two cars, and he said to me, you know, every other car falls off the bridge. <laughs> now, you wonder why I'm afraid of bridges, right? That's not hard to trace back. And, you know, the whole time I was scared to death to make sure there was a vehicle between us, you know, and my parents in that car and us. Either we're all going or none of us are going over. I, I also had this fear of trucks, you know, big trucks. I, I think it's probably the loud noises that they made. But I, I remember, I don't know, I was three, four years old, something like that. And the people who lived behind us, the man back there was building a big garage for his automobile repair shop. It was a big place, and that meant pouring foundations, and it meant hauling in all kinds of stuff, fill dirt and sand, and, you know, it's truck after truck after truck. And I can remember many days being outside in the sandbox playing, and you hear this truck rumbling in down the street to their driveway, and I jump up and panic and run into the house. Legend has it that my mom was so frustrated with me and trying to help break me of this that she locked the screen door on the back porch. It was probably my older sister, if truth be told, but uh, I I don't know. From that day on, there was this child-sized hole in the screen. You could see you running through. At the very least, my handprints in the screen as you're trying to push the door shut. We all fear something. We're, We're all afraid of something. It might be fear about our finances. It might be fears about our family. It might be fears about our career. It might be a fear that people will find out something about us. It might be a a fear about our relationships. Fear of being rejected, used, alone. It might be a fear about the unknown, the future. A lot of our fears have to do with what we can't quite see that lies before us. The apprehension of that. It might be a fear that have about issues of aging. Psychiatrists tell us that there are all kinds of phobias that we wrestle with. It's, exact, it's hard to exactly pin down how many, but I saw one list that had hundreds of phobias listed on it. There were some interesting ones on that list, things I had never thought of people being afraid of. There is the, uh, the fear, octophobia, which is the fear of the number eight. I don't even know what that means, how you'd be afraid of the number eight. There is uh, lachanophobia, which is the fear of vegetables. It's not that you don't like them, you're afraid of them. Probably don't watch a lot of Veggie Tales if you uh, that was your problem. And there was the fear of homophobia. That's the fear of sermons. I didn't know that was a fear. I mean, I get frightened sometimes about preaching, but I didn't know that was a fear people had. There are lots of fears. 
And despite all of our differences, the one thing we have in common is that we all wrestle with fears. With that sense of anxiety and uncertainty and apprehension about something in life. And we tend to see our fears as a problem. As something to avoid. We want to get rid of them as quickly as possible. And and that's understandable. Fear is not something we yearn for. Fear is something we try to avoid. We don't like that feeling of being afraid. And we try to eliminate it from our lives. The scriptures understand that. First John, the epistle, he tells us that perfect love drives out fear. You ever notice that every time an angel appears to someone in scripture, the first words out of their mouth, don't be afraid, fear not. Why do they say that? Because they're scared to death. It's a natural reaction for us. And we lament our fears. But maybe, maybe, maybe we shouldn't lament all of our fears. Maybe, maybe fear is a gift of God that we just haven't recognized yet. That thought came to me a little while back when I was reading through the book of Deuteronomy and came to chapter 7. Now you may remember the book of Exodus tells the story of God rescuing the people of Israel out of Egyptian slavery. And the book of Numbers tells about how God got them ready to go into the promised land and brought them to the banks of the Jordan River. And then they sent spies over and they saw these giants and huge walls and they came back terrified and they instead of letting God lead them they ran away from it and they spent the next 40 years wandering in the wilderness until that entire generation dies and then the book of Deuteronomy is God's message his teaching through Moses to this new inexperienced generation that is now once again standing on the banks of the Jordan River ready to go into the promised land And Deuteronomy 7 is a part of that instruction. And do you know what I find here? I find that God is not hesitant to present us with real opportunities to be afraid. God is not hesitant to present us with real opportunities to be afraid. Now that may seem odd to us, but it's true. Now, if you think back to when the first generation of Israelites was about to go into the land and they were scared to death of the size of the people and the walls around the cities, you would think then that as God is preparing this next generation to come into the land, he would have thought to himself, all right, let's get rid of all those things that scared them because I really want them to experience this. So let's eliminate the giants and let's eliminate the walls so they can walk in casually. But he doesn't. And when you read this chapter and you come to verse 22, not only does God not eliminate them before they go, it says the Lord your God will drive out those nations before you little by little. You will not be allowed to eliminate them all at once or the wild animals will multiply around you. Those people are going to be there for a while. And we know God's reason is so that, that if the land is uninhabited by humans, then the wild animals would take over and that would happen. But, you know, God could do something about that, but he chooses not to. 
And he chooses not to because God is not hesitant to give us real opportunities to be afraid. God doesn't eliminate the things that intimidate us or frighten us or concern us as much as we would want him to. God doesn't eliminate our enemies. God doesn't shrink our enemies. God lets us face real risk. He allows us to face genuine reasons to feel fear. And then he calls us to trust him. In the midst of that fear. Now we wish it weren't that way. But contrary to the way in which some people interpret the Christian faith and the church. God does not call us out of the world that threatens us and intimidates us. In fact, God plants us right smack dab in the middle of this world that often feels like an enemy to us. This world that has real threats that legitimately frighten us. Of course, the alternative to be in the middle of it is to abandon it or to condemn it. And I don't believe either of those are God's strategy for his people, for the church in the world. Now, we would like for God to eliminate anything that might make us feel afraid or anxious or, or uncertain because we, we think of those emotions as being less than perfect. And, of course, we're right. They are less than perfect, but they're also human. And we're all human. And these emotions, the fears that we feel, the uncertainties, those are human emotions. But instead of eliminating the parts of life that frighten us and concern us, God uses those very things for his purposes in us. God uses them because God is less concerned with us being perfect than he is with us learning to trust him. God's about relationship, not coercion. God is more concerned with the process of the journey than just the end of the journey. Now, we tend to be most concerned about results. God's concerned about relationship. We are concerned about getting to the finish line. God's concerned about the whole race from beginning to end. Psalm 56 is is a word from David when he's uh, captured by the Philistines. And in verse 3, he says, When I am afraid, I will trust in you. You notice that he doesn't say, when I trust in you, I'm no longer afraid. He says, when I'm afraid, I trust in you. And David's declaration helps us understand a principle of life that we are most apt to trust God when we're afraid. The reality of human life is that when life is good, we have a tendency to ignore God. It's when life is troubling When burdens are weighing in upon us, when fear is rising within us, when we realize that no matter how hard we try, we can't do anything about what's happening in life and the fears and the threats that we feel. It's only then, it's often then that we turn to God. And we begin to realize that trusting him is the only solution to what we're facing. And when we see it that way, maybe fear isn't quite the enemy that we often think it is. Now, I know there are fears that can paralyze us. There's fear that's so terrible that we can't do anything with it. There's fear that ignores reality and, and leads us to erratic, unexplainable behavior. There are those kinds of, of fears that sometimes live in us and eat away at us. 
If you've ever seen the television drama Monk, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. You know, if you watch the show, you know Adrian Monk is, he, he's the most gifted, successful detective in the city of San Francisco. He's amazing. But he is also overwhelmed with phobias. A couple of years ago, we were in New York and we went to Rockefeller Center and we, uh, that's where NBC is hosted and all their other networks. And, and I got this, this monk mug, coffee mug. On the back of it is monk's top phobias. Germs, needles, snakes, milk. I don't see that one a lot. Heights, crowds, death, lightning, elevators, and mushrooms. And he is so filled with phobias, he can hardly exist sometimes. And there are times when the fears that we experience, need, we need professional help with those. And we need, it's, it's something so much deeper. But the truth is, we're not diminishing the fears. And we're not acting like the fears don't, aren't reality. We're acknowledging that the fears are real. We're not minimizing them. We're just simply saying, God is in them. And God is using them. I read out a woman who was so engulfed with fear. Her pastor told her, among other things, that every day, as many times as she could, she should recite these words. God is in my life. His care is sufficient for all of my needs. His power is greater than the power of these fears and anxieties, greater than all the burdens that weigh in upon me. And when I read that, I thought, we all ought to say that. So why don't we? We don't usually until something happens, until we feel afraid and worried and uncertain. And we see again that fear sometimes can be a gift from God. Now, the foundation for seeing fear and understanding fear this way is the character and the nature of God who loves to bless us. The entire chapter of Deuteronomy 7 is is a vivid reminder of God's plan for Israel, that his plan is blessing. Just looking at verse 12, it says, If you pay attention to these laws and are careful to follow them, then the Lord your God will keep his covenant of love with you. He will love you and bless you and increase your numbers. You will be blessed more than any other people. That's God's plan for his people. It is blessing, joy, life. And everything God does in this world, everything that God does for us, is intended to lead us to fullness of life, to abundant life. And every other means to try to get to that is a facade. Every intent and purpose of God is to bless us far beyond what any of us could ever dream or imagine for good in our lives. But until we begin to understand that truth, that God is good and that God's designs for us is blessing, we will never see fear as something God can use. We will never see fear as actually an opportunity that's presented to us to trust God. We'll never really grasp this truth that that without fear, we would often have little reason to think that we need God. We believe we can handle life on our own. We believe we're good enough. We can do whatever we need to without God's help. And in fact, we might see that mindset as an indication of our spiritual strength. But it's a lie. 
For no matter how strong we may be, no matter how gifted we may be or privileged we may be, life is too much for any of us to handle. Life is bigger than we are, and all of our attempts to handle it on our own are going to end in failure. Without fear, we tend to become arrogant. We can do it, no problem. And God gets left out. And we miss out on the source of all that God created us to enjoy and experience. You remember, God says to the people of Israel earlier in verse 7 that he didn't choose them because they were great. He chose them because they were small and weak. They were the fewest of all peoples. He chose them because he loves them. And God loves us too much and wants to bless our lives too much for us to allow, allow us to think that we can handle life on our own. And so he lets giants into our lives and he lets people and stuff come to us that make us afraid. But the point of that is not to hold us down. It's not to debilitate us. It's to cause us to realize our inadequacy so that we will turn to him and to find in him everything we have ever dreamed of experiencing. His abundant life. And that's why the scriptures tell us again and again and again to remember who God is and what God has done. Because when we remember what God has done in the past, we are much more likely to trust him for what he's going to do in the future. Verses 17, 18, 19 remind the people about how God brought them, defeated Pharaoh and the people of Egypt. And that's significant because the Egyptians are far more powerful than any of the nations in Canaan that they're going to encounter. And if God can defeat them the way he did, he can defeat these people. And remembering what God has done is a recurring theme in Scripture because when we remember what God has done, then we have every reason to trust what God promises to do. I think it's important for us to keep in mind that this passage is is addressing corporate fear. I mean, yeah, individuals are afraid, but Moses is concerned that the people as a nation, as a whole, will trust God. He's concerned that in the face of this opposition and these real threats, that they will allow these fears to turn them to God rather than run away from God. And I've been pondering what our corporate fears might be. I suspect that the opposition that makes us apprehensive might be things like the economy and wondering if we can maintain the financial base that we need. It might be thinking about what's going on with all these natural disasters that seem to be coming at us. It might be concern for our children and our youth in this world that feels like it's turned upside down. It might be what we consider the moral decay and the feeling that we are more and more as Christians a cultural minority. And we we fear these things. Unfortunately... Our corporate fear, particularly about this last thing, about being a minority in the culture, it's causing the church far too often to react exactly the opposite of what God intends. Instead of trusting God, we tend to embark on some sort of holy war against the culture and against everyone who we feel is against us. We have decided that 
political power is a better, is more effective response to our fear than the power of the Holy Spirit. We've decided that pushing people around is a more effective response to our fear than trusting in the risen Christ. We've decided that protecting ourselves, our rights, our lifestyle, our comfort is more effective against our fear than the love of God and the presence of our Heavenly Father. And then we wonder why we feel so unfulfilled and why our witness is so ineffective. See, the answer is not more of us, it's more of God. The answer is not pumping up ourselves or trying harder. It's surrendering ourselves in trust to the Almighty God, to the risen and conquering Christ, to the uncontainable Holy Spirit. And to have a vision of our faith as connected to each other on this journey. You see, our fears not only help us trust God, but they help us connect with each other in appropriate ways. Because we need each other. We need each other to to remind each other of the truth of who God is and to tell each other the stories of God and to learn together and to share together and connect together, to experience our fears together and to encourage each other to trust in God who is greater than anything that might concern us. So how do we respond to the things that bring fear to us? I think for one thing, we need to name our fears. The object is not to act like they don't exist. Denial is rarely, if ever, the plan of God. We need to individually and corporately acknowledge that these things make us afraid. That they are bigger than us. That they are stronger than us. And then we need to corporately remember what God has done for his people through the ages and for us as a people in this place. And we need to acknowledge that despite the size of the problem, God is bigger. And that God wants to take whatever fears we have and turn them into reasons to trust him and to be blessed by him. And at some point, we have to take a step of faith. Take some kind of step of trust. Something that scares you, that frightens us. Something that you would normally avoid, but God is prompting us to do. We do it. And we find that we will find that God is present and at work. And we'll do something with that step of faith that we could never have imagined. Craig Barnes was talking about uh, the life of Jesus and his interaction with people in first century Palestine. And he said, Jesus refused to relieve the people's anxieties about the Roman issue, about the tax issue, about the issues of health and hunger or religion. Instead, he invited people further into their fears because it was the only way for them to find a savior. It's not ignoring or denying our fears, but it's acknowledging them and then turning to God in the midst of them. And God doesn't use the strategy to play games with us. He uses the strategy because he knows us. 
He knows the way we think. He, he knows how we see ourselves in life. He knows how we operate. He knows that we tend to be arrogant people. And he knows that the only way to turn us from arrogance to blessing is to connect us with him. To lead us to himself. And he knows that the most effective means of doing that is to let us experience things that bring fear to us. So that we will acknowledge our need for him. And acknowledging our need, find what deep inside we are truly seeking. As we move into this new academic year, whether we are involved on the campuses or not, as a congregation, as the people of God in this place, as a church, who are we going to be? People who remember and trust? Or people who forget and run? People who are impatient? Or people who see God in these opportunities to risk? People who let our fears paralyze us? Or people who allow our fears to let God lead us to abundant life? Gracious Father, You know our fears. You know our tendency to believe that we can handle life on our own. Forgive us. And help us, Father, to so trust in you and to know your goodness that we come to see you working in us, even through the things that frighten us and intimidate us, concern us. Be present and evident in our daily lives as you shape us more and more into the image of Christ. Amen.